Welcome to the Yellow Balloons podcast, a collection of teachings to help you navigate the transformational possibilities of a God-centered perspective. We pray these insights from scripture will inspire and encourage you. Revelation is a simple book with a simple message. In this episode, Tim begins to unpack the commands and images of the final book of Christian scripture. There's a clear and profound purpose within the words of Revelation, a call to faithfulness. It's written to believers in the church to encourage and challenge them to a life of faith. The constant choice of our lives is this. Will I be a faithful witness or will I choose a lesser way? So Revelation 1.1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Now, there's a lot packed in this introduction, and the most important things, in my view, about understanding this book are right here. First, it's really vital to understand who this book is addressed to. Who's it addressed to? Yes, believers. And what word does he use? Servants. It's his servants. This is the Greek word doulos. So this is servant. It's it's a servant, somebody that is in your service. Now, Jesus gave multiple parables about servants, and there were two kinds of servants that he would talk about. What were they? Faithful, unfaithful. They had faithful servants, unfaithful servants. So a servant is somebody that's in a station, they're a servant. But how they discharge that station, how they discharge that duty, is a matter of whether they're faithful or not, right? So this is a book that's an instruction to his servants. That does not mean that people who aren't his servants couldn't benefit from it. It does not mean that scholars could not benefit from it. But it's written to his servants. Now why is it written to his servants? Look at verse 3. God wants to give a blessing. The point of this is, I want my servants to hear this book, and I want it to give them a blessing. This word blessing is makarios, which just means happy. So anybody here interested in happiness? Everybody, would you rather be happy or miserable? You know, that's, that's a fundamental question. That, well, of course, we want to have a happy life. And so he said, this is how you get it if you're my servant. You do three things. You read, hear, and keep the words of this prophecy. Read, hear, and keep. Read, understand, and then do. Read, understand, do. Now, this is a real familiar pattern in the Bible, isn't it? One of the most famous passages in the Bible is Deuteronomy 30. It's, and it, Deuteronomy 30 is used by Paul in Romans to kind of sum up his whole point in chapter 10. And it's Moses speaking to the children. He says, look, this is not all that hard. This, this is pretty simple. You don't have to have a missionary come from somewhere else and explain it. You don't have to have an angel come down from heaven and explain it. Because it's right there in your heart. You know the right thing to do. So just think about it and then do it. Listen, hear, do. I'm setting before you today two roads. A road of blessing, a road of cursing. God's not 
in any way threatening the children of Israel, whether they are actually elect or not. He's not saying, well, if you do this road, you were really, I really elected you. If you do that road, I didn't elect you. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about, are you going to have a blessing? Are you going to have a blessing or not? If you want a blessing, do this. Do, do what you know is right. If you don't want a blessing, then don't do that. that. That's how simple this is. Well, it's the same kind of thing. If you want this blessing, then read this prophecy, my servants. Listen, hear the words of this prophecy, my servants. And then keep, do the, the lessons of this prophecy. Why? The time is near. And it's interesting here, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him. So here we got the Trinity in full operation. So we got God, who is Jesus, giving a message to Jesus, who's going to turn around and give it to John, who's going to turn around and give it to the churches, who are then going to spread it to the rest of the earth. You have this whole message sequence taking place. And he says, things which must take place shortly. Another way to translate this word that's translated here shortly is speedily. This is going to happen real speedily. Well, of course, we know Revelation is about the end of the age. And this was given in the first century. So how can it be that here we are in the 2,000, 2,000 years later, a little short of 2,000 years later, and it's speedily. Think about it. What does the Bible say our life is time-wise? What? Wisp of vapor. It's a wisp of vapor. So think about a wisp of vapor. You're boiling some water to make some oatmeal, and the vapor pops up. How long is it there? Yeah, yeah, a half second, two seconds, something like that. It's just gone. So if you've got a wisp of vapor, it's a lifetime. How many lifetimes in a century? Two? Make that math easy. So you've got 20 centuries, two lives per century, 40 wisps of vapor. So we've been 40 wisps of vapor. So what's that? About 80 seconds. You know, we've been, it's only been a minute since this was written from God's perspective. Speedily still fits in. And, and he sent it and signified it by his angel to his servant John. Now this is important. The word angel is the Greek word angelos, okay? Angelos, which it's just a transliteration than the English word, I suppose. Angelos. And it means messenger. So you have to look at the context of Angelos to know who the messenger is. Uh, if it's a messenger of a spiritual being sent by God from heaven to tell somebody something, then it's what we call angels. But in this instance, we're going to see that Jesus is the actual one who comes and talks to John and gives John this message for the most part. So Jesus is the messenger. Jesus is called in the Old Testament, most people think, the angel of the Lord. And Jesus, of course, is not an angel in the way we think about it because angels were created and Jesus is the creator. But Jesus is a messenger. And he's going to give these letters to the messengers of the churches. And so that's important to bear in mind here that we're using the word messenger here when we look at this angelos. Verse 2, gave it to his servant John. Now this is John the Apostle. So John the Apostle is the only apostle who was actually not murdered. You remember when Jesus is talking to, is it Peter? And he says, what's if, well, what's it to you if I keep John around forever? And John's like, hey, you look at me, I'm not going to die. And so there was, there, there was some kind of rumor that went around. That, 
I love those guys. Uh, his servant John, who bore witness to the Word of God. So this is John the Apostle who bore witness to the Word of God. And although he was not murdered, he was exiled, which is another form of death. The first form of death that Adam and Eve experienced was exile. They were, they were exiled from the garden. Socrates was given two death choices. Hemlock, exile. He chose Hemlock. Who bore witness, so witness here, bore witness, is the Greek word martyreo, there's the root, and so is the word testimony, martyreo. So what we're talking about here is uh, martyrdom. Martyrdom is what this book is largely about. And so if you want to be blessed, you, you read, you hear, and then you do. And one of the main things that this book wants us to do is to make being a witness, a martyr, number one. Now, we tend to think of martyr just in terms of someone who actually has their life terminated as a result of their witness. Uh, but the life of a martyr is actually much more than that. You, you, don't, you don't live a life of a martyr and then become a martyr when you die. You're, you're either a witness or you're not with the way you live your life. And, and we'll see this as we go through, I think. If you are living the life of a witness... What you're doing is you're setting yourself completely at odds with the world system because you're living in the king's system. You're living in the Jesus' system. And when you set yourself at odds with the world system, there's a price to pay. And that is living as a witness. And that's what God wants us to do. It could cost you your life. It could cost you your position. Most of the time what it costs you is acceptance by the world. That's the, the primary thing we have to give up as witnesses is being accepted by the world system. John bore witness. He was persecuted by the Roman government. He wasn't killed. He was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. Tradition says he was boiled in oil and the oil, boiling oil didn't hurt him, so they sent him to Patmos. That's just tradition. Who bore witness. John bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. And that's why he was on Patmos. Blessed is he who reads. So what we're gonna, one of the things we're going to do as we go through this is read every word. Because that gives us a blessing. And those who hear or understand. So we're going to do our best to understand. But we're not going to necessarily try to understand what the events are actually going to be. Because if God wanted us to totally understand the mechanics of what's going to happen, then he would have made it abundantly clear exactly what's going to happen. What's the point? What's the main point we're supposed to get from this? How to be a great witness. That's the main thing we're going to focus on. So what we're going to focus on as we go through Revelation, we'll look at kind of the events and what's going to happen because he tells us about it. But we're not going to so much focus on understanding and predicting you know, we're not, going to, we're not going to focus so much on that. We're going to focus on what he wants us to do. His servants learning to be an awesome witness. That's the, main, that's the main thing Revelation is about, which is why I will assert Revelation is a pretty simple book. It's pretty simple. There's a bunch of stuff that's going to happen. It's going to be really tough. And I want you to hang in there. And if you do, you're going to have amazing blessings. The world hates you. The world's going to hate you. If you're a witness, the world's going to hate you. And that hate's going to hurt. And when it does, just hang in there, man. Hang in there. Because it is worth it.
John is a living example of that. I mean, he had an uncomfortable life. Patmos is a, about a 30-square-mile island that nothing grows on. The word Patmos means infertile. It's just a piece of rock. It, actually, we might feel kind of comfortable there, come to think of it. <laughs> but he's there. He's there. It's, it's, it's actually a pretty beautiful place in the GNC, but there's nothing there. He's just isolated. He's exiled because he was faithful to bear witness. He was a good witness. And that's an example of what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to be willing to be isolated from the world. So that's what we're going to do as we go through here. So verse 4, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia. Now, so John writes this this letter to these seven churches in Asia, Asia Minor. These churches are on the western side of what is now Turkey. So this Isle of Patmos would be off the coast of the western coast of uh, Turkey. And these churches, uh, some of them are along the coast and some of them are just inland. And he goes through, it's very interesting because he goes through in Ephesus, Smyrna, uh, Pergamum, or Pergamus, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. When he does those churches, he's actually following them in, an, in a circle. Ephesus is the southwesternmost church, and then the first ones kind of go up right up the coastline, then he comes down and, and then follows them down the interior. It actually makes a circle, which is very interesting. Seven churches, seven in the Bible is kind of a number of completion. Can you think, Matt, offhand of some other sevens that are, that are used? Uh, Sabbath day. Sabbath day. So seven, seventh day is the day. I'm finished, right? I'm finished on the seventh day. Any others? What is it? The menorah. menorah has seven on it, like the seven lights that, are, that represent the seven days of God. It's a kind of a completion number. And so we've got seven churches that are in Asia. Now, there are two prevailing opinions about what these churches represent. One prevailing opinion is that each of these churches represents a predominant church period, like the characteristics of each of these churches are dominant in a particular age of, uh, of churches going forward. That's the one predominant view. So, for example, uh, the church of Ephesus would go like from 33 A.D. to 100 A.D. And, and this, like the early church... And when he talks about Ephesus, he's talking about the early church period, for example. So that's one predominant view. The other predominant view is that these are seven different kinds of churches. And the seven different kinds of churches you can find in any age. You can find a cold church, and you can find an on-fire church, and you can find a persecuted church. And both of those views, are, I think, are supportable. Me, of course, being a a person that believes in the paradoxes in the Bible and that God is a paradox and that everything we see is paradoxical, I would, of course, believe they're both representative. And in fact, this is what I would recommend to you, is that this chronological representation where Ephesus is 33 to 100 or whatever is representative of the churches in the Roman Empire, the the Western civilization. Because, you remember from Daniel's dream, and we're probably going to do a lot of Daniel as we do Revelation too because the two books are so intertwined. But you remember in Daniel's dream when he has the statue that tells all of world history, it has four kingdoms. 
and then the kingdom of God. In the four kingdoms, you've got the head of gold, which was Babylon, and then you got the breast of silver, which was the Medo-Persian Empire, and then you got the bronze torso, which is the Greek Empire, and Alexander the Great, who conquers the world and shifts the world from an eastern axis to a western axis. And then the Romans come in and basically just appropriate the Alexander's empire. And so you got the Roman world. And that's the final age before there's another kingdom that comes in that's not made with hands of man. It's a, it's a rock in this, in this dream. It's a rock that's carved without the hands of man. It comes in, smashes the statue, and fills the whole earth. So you got the kingdom of God. This teaching will continue in the following episode. Thanks for listening to the Yellow Balloons podcast. If you want more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, visit our website at yellowballoons.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowballoons.net. Thanks for listening. 